0: So was to Ezekiel chapter 3 Ezekiel chapter 3 and the title tonight is warn these people warn these people in chapter 3 we have Ezekiel preparing for a tough job Ezekiel was a different kind of guy than Jeremiah Jeremiah was the weeping prophet the prophet of the broken heart with tears often running down his face At that critical time in history, God needed Jeremiah to let his people know that it was breaking his heart to send them into captivity. Now, the people have gone into captivity, and they're bitter, and they're rebellious. And like a lot of people, they've blamed everything but themselves. They blamed everyone else but themselves for their situation. But at this time, the temple hadn't been burned down yet or Jerusalem, uh, Jerusalem destroyed. And it would be seven years after this group of captives got to Babylon that that destruction would take place. So the false teachers were still telling the people that they were God's people and that they would go back home soon. And they said to Ezekiel, Ezekiel, why do you think, what do you think, you know, who do you think you are telling us these things? These things. That, you know We're God's people and we're going back to our land and we won't be in captivity for that long. And then God told Ezekiel, you go tell the people they're not going back soon and that they're going to be in captivity for 70 long years, just as Jeremiah told you. They're going to be in Babylon 70 years. And during that time, they're going to work hard along the canals there, working in the fields, building structures, it's going to be uh, their hard, everyday portion of life for them. Ezekiel was commanded to eat the scroll four times, and then go preach God's message to the Israelites. And these commands showed that the message of the Old Testament prophets was external, and originated with God. In other words, they weren't the ones, the prophets weren't the ones who discovered the truths, That they preached through their own reasoning. So they didn't discover the truth that they preached through their own reasoning and intellect, but was through divine revelation. However, God didn't replace the prophet's personality, he spoke through it. In Matthew 16 13 through 17, we have an example of this. I'm going to read it to you from the New Living Translation. Jesus said, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Speaking to his disciples. Well, they replied, Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Others say you're Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then Jesus asked them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, You are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. You see, their messages also reflected their personalities. Their backgrounds and their individual character traits. So the truths that became known to them were neither completely from the prophets alone, but from both. Their messages were God's truths given through human channels. So let's begin now with chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. And it says, Moreover, Ezekiel speaking, Moreover, God said to me, Son of man, eat what you find, eat this scroll. And then go speak to the house of Israel or the people of Israel. So so Ezekiel says, I opened my mouth and he caused me to eat that scroll. And he said to me, son of man, feed your belly and fill your stomach with this scroll that I give you. So I ate and it was in my mouth like honey in sweetness. For a good spiritual meal, man, you have to study the word of God. Notice the words feed and feel there. Feed and fill. Feed yourself with the word of God. Fill up with the word of God. Do you love the word of God? Do you want to just eat it up? If you can't say yes, then you really can't say you love the person of Christ because they're one in the same. Because you'll never love Jesus unless you love the word of God. John 1.1 1, 1 says this, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word is Jesus Christ. You have to love the word of God before it will ever become meaningful to you. The word of God reveals a person to you and then you fall in love with him. Ezekiel said, notice regarding eating in the scrolls, he said, it was in my mouth like honey and sweetness. Man, I ate it up, man, and it is sweet as honey. Ezekiel loved the word of God and he ate it up. Job chapter 23, verse 12, Job said, I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, 162, I rejoice at your word as one who finds great treasure. Notice both Job and the psalmist referred to God's word as a treasure. Is it a treasure to you? Is it something to be treasured by you? Do you treasure it? When Ezekiel obeyed God's words and he ate the scroll, he found out that it was sweet, even though the message was harsh. The subject of his message was judgment. A message that was fair and it was right when you look at Judah's rebellion and their disobedience. They had it coming. This sweetness of God's word is a figure that's used in other places in the Bible. Bitterness was an opposite characteristic of the message that contained severe judgment. And normally the word of God was considered sweet. But here its truth was a statement. The coming bitterness of judgment That would be a bitter experience of an apostate people, those who had turned away from the Lord. Now, verses 4 through 11 covers Ezekiel's divine preparation. Let's look at verses 4 through 6 now. Then he said to me, son of man, go to the house of Israel or the people of Israel and speak with my words to them. For you are not sent to a people of unfamiliar speech and of hard language, but to the house of Israel. Not to many people of unfamiliar speech and of hard language, whose words you cannot understand. Surely had I sent you to them, they would have listened to you. What the people needed to do more than anything else was to hear God's word. Listening is needed to learn wisdom. If you want to learn, you have to first listen. James chapter 119, James says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear. He said, slow to speak, swift to hear. Even before the nation fell, Jeremiah had warned them, don't listen to the false prophets. Being, you know, but, but neither the leaders nor the people would obey. God had spoken loudly, figuratively speaking, in Israel's shameful defeat and captivity. In other words, when they were defeated and went into captivity, they now realized, hey, this this is what God's word said and and we were warned about it. And so this spoke volumes to them when when they were defeated and went into captivity. But now the Jews were still holding on to empty hopes and still listening to the lying words of the false prophets there in Babylon. You see, man's heart... Many times would rather hear lies that bring a, a that bring a false comfort than truth that bring conviction and cleansing. Ezekiel declared God's word as a messenger in verses four through ten. He declared God's word as a sufferer in verses ten through fifteen, and he declared God's words as a watchman in verses sixteen through twenty-one. And he declared God's word as a sign to them in verses twenty-two through twenty-seven. God told Ezekiel. I am not sending you to a foreign people whose language you can't understand. I'm not sending you to people with a strange and hard to understand language. He said, if I did, then they would listen. Ezekiel wasn't being sent to speak to foreigners, but to his own people. He wasn't going like a missionary who has to learn a foreign language. Verse 4 says, God sent him to the house of Israel, his people, the people of Israel. There was never any doubt that the Israelites were the main people of Ezekiel's ministry. Ezekiel was being sent to the people of Judah, his people, who spoke his language. But you see, their depravity had gone way beyond even the heathen nations, beyond the foreign heathen nations. Look at verse 7. But the house of Israel will not listen to you, Ezekiel, because they will not listen to me. For all the house of Israel are impudent and hard-hearted. And remember God in the last chapter warned him of that. Ezekiel's re- rejection, his mission, and his message wouldn't be the rejection of Ezekiel. They weren't rejecting Ezekiel. They were rejecting God, God's message. The people refused to listen to Ezekiel because he was God's spokesman. Ezekiel was in the same boat as Samuel when they rejected his leadership because the Israelites wanted a human king rather than God ruling over them. Samuel was told by God, Samuel, they're not rejecting you. They're not rejecting your leadership. They're rejecting me, who Samuel represented. The people's rejection of of Ezekiel was because the people, as as it says here, were impudent and hard-hearted. Pharaoh's hard heart in Exodus was given as the reason for his refusal to obey God. So this is a serious spiritual condition that the Israelites are in or anybody's in when they become so hard-hearted that they reject the word of God and they reject God. Look at verses 8 through 9. Behold, I have made your face strong against their faces and your forehead strong against their foreheads. Like adamant stone, harder than flint, I have made you your forehead. I have made, that's how I've made your forehead. Do not be afraid of them, nor be dismayed at their looks, though they are a rebellious house. God said, I'm going to read this same verse to you, uh, these two verses from the New Living Translation. God said, Ezekiel, I've made you as obstinate and hard-hearted as they are. I've made your forehead as hard as the hardest rock. So don't be afraid of them or fear their angry looks, even though they are rebels. Verses 10 through 11. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, receive into your heart all my words that I speak to you and hear with your ears. And go, get to the captives, to the children of your people and speak to them and tell them, Thus says the Lord, whether they hear or whether they refuse. God tells Ezekiel, "Ezekiel, you're to listen with your ears, and you're to receive in your heart everything that I, God, have said to you." This suggests a continuing, a continuous relationship. Ezekiel was to keep on listening to God, and 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 as God kept on speaking to Ezekiel, you see, receiving God's words wasn't to be limited to just his call as a prophet in other words you know yeah i've been called to be a prophet so now i'm just going to go and, and do what i've been called to do again it wasn't limited god's words weren't limited to just his call as a prophet by itself you know it was to be the continuing revelation of god's word all through his entire ministry that god spoke to him and in these opening words of the last instructions to ezekiel he was exhorted to listen to understand and to grasp and apply God's word. He was called to be God's spokesman in exile to his fellow countrymen. Jesus said in Luke 8, 18, so pay attention to how you hear. Notice, how you hear. God told Ezekiel, listen with your ears. Well, how else would I listen? But he's making a point. You know, do we hear to listen or are we just hearing because you know we're being spoken to there's a difference jesus pay attention how you hear he says to those who listen to my teaching more understanding will be given how many people hear the word of god and don't understand because they're not listening to understand they're just there in this assignment He shared the same burden as his contemporary Jeremiah did. Both men were called to preach the messages of God of severe judgment. Now, verses 12 through 15 covers the conclusion of the call of Ezekiel. Now, this first vision closed with a command that again confirmed the warning that Ezekiel gave in chapter 2, verse 5, that Israel would be rebellious and they would be unreceptive. But Ezekiel was given orders to proclaim God's word to them no matter what. Whether they hear or whether they refuse, as he said in verse 11. Verses 12 through 15 now. Then the Spirit lifted me up, and I heard behind me a great thunderous voice. Blessed is the glory of the Lord from his place. I also heard the noise of the wings of the living creatures that touched one another, and the noise of the wheels beside them, and a great thunderous noise. So the Spirit lifted me up and took me away, and I went in bitterness in the heat of my spirit, but the hand of the Lord was strong upon me. Then I came to the captives at Tel Aviv, who dwelt by the river Kabar, and I sat where they sat, and I remained there astonished among them for seven days. So it says in these verses that Ezekiel was lifted by the Spirit like he was in chapter 2, verse 2. And as Ezekiel was lifted and the Spirit began to work, Ezekiel heard behind him several sounds. He heard the sound of the the rustling of the cherubim's wings. He heard the noise of, of the wheels and a loud, thunderous noise. He knew that God's glorious throne was moving and that the Lord was working out His purposes, suggesting the movement of the chariot throne and the end of the vision there in verse 13. Now, the Spirit went to His place among the captives by the river Kabar at Tel-Abib. Now, tel Aviv is not the same location as modern Tel-Aviv. Tel-Aviv is one of the major cities of Israel. When the Spirit took Ezekiel, he left in great distress. He was bummed out. He was compelled to go, though, by the strong hand of the Lord. And it says that he sat for seven days among the people. The ministry doesn't start by preaching. It starts in silence. The Lord brought Ezekiel to Tel Aviv so that he could sit with the captives and feel their pain. So, that he could, so he could, you know, feel what they were going through. So he could feel their burden of disappointment and grief. You know, and it's so important, important that, that we understand the people before we try to minister to them. He sat with those of the captivity. It was some place where either there was many of them there together uh, and and he sat where they sat, whether working or reading or, or, or talking, and he stayed with them for seven days to hear what they had to say, to hear what they felt, what they were going through, to see what they did while he was waiting, while Ezekiel was waiting to hear from the Lord. You see, for anybody to speak correctly and profitably to people about their souls, man, they have to get acquainted with them first. You know, they have to know their situation. They have to do like Ezekiel did here. They must sit where they sit and speak to them about the things of God and put themselves in that position. You remember, uh, Paul didn't start his ministry right away. He went to Arabia for these three years. In Exodus, Moses didn't start right away. He went to 40 years into, into the wilderness, you know, for, for God to minister to them, for God to teach them some things, and, and for Moses to, to undo everything that he learned, you know, in the universities of Egypt. Though he was brilliant, the universities of Egypt, what he learned in the world, was not good for him or could not be used in the ministry to God. So a lot of times we have to sit first and listen and learn before we get, you know, before God sends us out for us to correctly, profitably speak to people about their souls. We have to know them first, sit with them, understand what they're going through, put ourselves in their position. Ezekiel was overwhelmed with grief for the sins and miseries of his people. God didn't show him any visions. God didn't visit him. No one visited him. He sat there, again, for seven days among the people, silent. He was there to process his grief and to, come, and to, become a be, to get into a better state of mind before the word of the Lord would come to him. Those, those who God plans to exalt and promote, he first humbles for a time. Psalm 137 tells about their misery and their hatred for the babylonians when they should have been repenting and seeking god's face the jews were regretting what happened and they were praying that one day that they might be able to get even with the babylonians defeat the babylonians you know their captors who mocked them and as ezekiel was sitting there with the people overwhelmed by what the lord had said to him and done for him he realized the seriousness of his calling And what a great responsibility that God gave him. It's a good thing for the servant of God to be among his people. To weep with those who weep. To rejoice with those who rejoice. Because then they can minister to them better. When he knows their hearts. When he feels their pain. It's not just enough to preach the message of God. We also have to ask God for a caring and compassionate heart like God's. So as Ezekiel sat in the midst of his people, he was able to see what they needed. He was able to see what their needs were. He was able to feel the weight of the coming judgment. It's a reminder that we have to identify with the needs of those who search for God. Now, we don't take part with them in their godless lifestyle. We have to try to understand their emptiness and their unfriendliness if we're going to be effective communicators of God's word. A man who has the word of God should have the boldness to declare the word of God. This was Ezekiel's responsibility. And verses 16 through 21 are really important for us to understand. Verses 16 through 21 covers Ezekiel's appointment as a watchman. So after Ezekiel's initial vision, he was silent, And overcome with awe for seven days. The second appearance of God after the seven days was a natural occurrence. Because God appeared to Ezekiel a second time to reaffirm Ezekiel's call to the ministry. To remind him of his responsibility as a watchman and to warn the Israelites about their need to repent. Now... The subject of individual responsibility is also found. Okay, it's found here. That's what we're going to look at. Each person's responsibility, all right, when they hear the word of God and to address their sin. It's also found in Ezekiel 18, verses 1 through 32, and Ezekiel chapter 33, verses 1 through 20. Now, this section that we're going to look at, verses 16 through 21, has two main parts. One is to Ezekiel's call to be a watchman in verses 16 and 17. And second, the responsibilities and accountability of the watchman in verses 18 through 21. So let's look at verses 16 through 17. Now it came to pass at the end of the seven days that the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel or the people of Israel. Therefore, hear a word from my mouth and give them warning from me. So after the seven days were over, God appears to Ezekiel. And he starts to give Ezekiel the words that he was to give to the people. God told Ezekiel in verse 17, he was sent to be a watchman to Israel. So his duties and his responsibilities are given to him here. A watchman was a city employee appointed to be a lookout from a high vantage point, like a town, you know, that was up on a hill or the city walls. Now, this job was very important because of the safety of all the people. That was the watchman's responsibility. And if a watchman failed in his duty to warn the people of the town of a coming attack, he, the watchman, was held responsible, personally responsible for any loss or or death. God appointed Ezekiel to be his watchman and to warn Judah and Jerusalem of coming destruction. He was, Ezekiel was to open the people's eyes and warn them of greater evils than what was found around them. He was to wake them up about their deep sleep and to get them to see through their false impressions and get them to see the danger they were really in, though they didn't suspect anything. If, if Ezekiel didn't say anything, he would be held accountable. Now look at verses 18 through 21. Let me find it here. My eyes aren't working. Here it is. Okay. Jeremiah, God says, When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, that same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Yet, if you warn the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. Verse 20. And when a righteous man, this is important, I want you to listen what's being said. Again, when a righteous man turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die, because you did not give him warning. He shall die in his sin and his and his righteousness, which he has done, shall not be remembered. But his blood I will require at your hand. Nevertheless, if you warn the righteous man that the righteous should not sin and he does not sin, he shall surely live uh, because he took warning and also you will have delivered your soul. Now, verses 18 through 21 Focus on Ezekiel's responsibility and accountability as God's watchman. He was to warn the wicked of their sin and coming judgment, according to verse 18. Now, some of the captives were blaming God for their miserable problem, for the condition that they were in. Others blamed their family. Ezekiel was making it very clear that each person is responsible and accountable for their own sin before God. We're real good at blaming other people for our sin or for what messes we get into. But God is telling you, you tell them, they are responsible and accountable for their own sin. The responsibility for the message was then on the wicked person who was warned. Once they were warned, they were now responsible for what they heard. If the prophet failed to to tell them in doing his duty... Then the wicked would be judged, but the prophet would be held responsible for not carrying out his duty. Then, this is the part I really want you to grasp. Ezekiel warned the righteous man not to turn from his righteousness. Now, there's a doctrine out there that says once you're saved, you can never turn away from God's righteousness. Listen to what the scripture is saying. He warns the righteous man not to turn from his righteousness. That is loyalty to the Mosaic law. He said if they turn from the Mosaic law and they disobey God's commands, uh, he will surely die. Hebrews 2.1 warns the Hebrew Christians, Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard, lest we drift away. They say that the righteous man can't turn away from his righteousness, that he can't drift away from God's righteousness. And yet the script why would the scripture give us that warning? Hebrews 6:19. The writer says, "This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast." What does an anchor do? It holds something in position. Here he says, "We have this hope, Jesus Christ, as an anchor of the soul, the anchor is to the soul to keep it from drifting away in our hope in Jesus Christ. The word righteous here that's used by Ezekiel is, 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 com- is used to convey the ideal concept of those who follow God's standards. This is the definition from the complete word study dictionary. And the word righteous here that's being warned not to turn from the righteousness It's the same word that's used by Malachi in chapter 3.18. Malachi said, Then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve God. So the righteous is the one who serves God, and the wicked are those who don't serve Him. And Ezekiel is warning the righteous man that if you turn away from righteousness, following God in a relationship, in obedience to what He says, you're going to die in your sins. What happens when you die in your sins? You go to hell. And then he talks about the stumbling block. He says the stumbling block that he puts before them. Now, that, the stumbling block doesn't mean that God deliberately planned to trip up the righteous man and bring him down. But God allows for sin in the paths of men. In other words, he allows us to be tempted. There is temptation in our life. So that if their heart is bent on sin and they might do so, then they deserve their condemnation. You see, the Bible teaches that God tests the commitment of the righteous as we saw in Job. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus prays that God preserves the believer in the midst of such a test. Remember, Jesus prayed, deliver us from temptation. Here, Ezekiel says, the righteous, notice, and here he says, the righteous that he has done shall not be remembered. You see, the righteousness that the righteous man has done in his past. It's not going to help him if he turns away from his righteousness and he's in sin. No matter how much righteousness he has done, it's not going to help him if he's turned away from God's righteousness and he's living in sin. And that's what the, 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 the doctrine of Calvinism teaches. That once you get saved, no matter how you live, it doesn't matter. And yet the Bible says, hey, you become a new creature. You're not the same anymore. And those which you see in the scripture who are born again, you see a change in their life, a new life. The righteous that he has done shall not be remembered, Ezekiel said. This is the tragic price men and women who, who will pay who fail to finish well. Jesus said in Matthew ten twenty two, those who endure to the end shall be saved. Doesn't matter if you've gone three quarters of the way. Those who endure to the end. Paul said, those who finish well. 2 Timothy 2.3 says, You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 2.12 says, If, notice, if is the conditional word. Many times you see that word. If you continue, if you fall. Salvation is a condition based upon your relationship with God. He says, if we endure... What is that saying? If we endure, we shall also reign with him. Well, the inference is if we don't endure, we're not going to reign with him. You see, endurance is the evidence of a person that's truly committed to Jesus Christ. The true good that the righteous has done in the past is not going to be remembered. One sin... Or a short season of sin can easily wipe out an otherwise good reputation. The Beacon Beacon Bible Commentary says this. It would surely take a twisting of text to teach that the believers can never be lost in the face of teachings as this. Dr. David Cooper said, When the plain sense of scripture makes good sense, seek no other sense. You know... It wasn't until a thousand years later that unconditional election and eternal security was taught. Calvin and Calvinism wouldn't appear for 2,000 years. Ezekiel would have never thought that what he taught would be uh, be a twisting of the text. So the righteous man, listen to what the scripture says, if we turn away from the righteousness of God, He is going to die in his sins. And no matter what his past has been, it's not going to save him. The watchman's lack of concern to warn the wicked and the righteous that fails to save a life is compared to negligent homicide. The prophet would be guilty of murder by his failure to fulfill his calling. And according to the law of retribution in Genesis chapter 9, verses 5 through 7, he was liable for the loss of life payable by the forfeit of his own life. The responsibility of a believer in Christ today to share the word of life, salvation, and forgiveness is no less overwhelming today as it was in Ezekiel's day. Once the message of salvation has been entrusted to us, we're now responsible and accountable for sharing it with those who are lost. God, just, God didn't entrust his word to us just to fill our heads with knowledge. Or Jewish history, or neat stories. He entrusted it to us that we might give it out, that we might share with those who are lost. Then, in verses twenty-two through twenty-seven, these verses covers Ezekiel's reaction to what God said. Look at verses uh, twenty-two through twenty-three to begin with. Verses twenty beginning with verse twenty-two. Then the hand of the Lord was upon me there, and he said to me, Arise, go out into the plain or the valley, and there I shall talk to you. So I arose, and I went out into the plain, and behold, the glory of the Lord stood there like the glory which I saw by the river Kabar, and I fell on my face. The hand of the Lord, uh, Ezekiel says, the hand of the Lord was upon me. God's hand was on Ezekiel, suggesting Ezekiel receive a vision, that he received a vision from God, based on verse 22. It suggests that Ezekiel did receive a vision from God here. When Ezekiel obeyed and he went to the plain or the valley, in verse 23, he encountered the glory of God's presence again, which he had seen already in chapter 1, verses 3 through 18. His response was also the same here as in chapter 1, verse 28, where it says he fell on his face in worship and awe at God's presence. Look at verses 24 through 27. Then the Spirit entered me, and set me on my feet, and spoke with me, and said to me, Go shut yourself inside your house, and you, son of man, surely they will put ropes on you, and bind you with them, so that you cannot go out among them. So, look at verse 26 now. I will make your tongue cling to the roof of your mouth, so that you shall be mute, and not be one to rebuke them, for they are a rebellious house. But when I speak with you, I will open your mouth, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God, He who hears, let him hear, and he who refuses, let him refuse, for they are a rebellious house. Ezekiel was empowered by the Holy Spirit, and he was set on his feet, just like in the first vision in chapter 2, verse 2. This was the same Spirit who was the the moving power behind the creatures that he saw by the river Kabar in chapter 1, verse 12 and 19. Then Ezekiel was given three restrictions. First, he was instructed to shut himself in his house there in verse 24. Second, he was to be bound with ropes to ensure his seclusion so that you could that so that he couldn't get out among the people, according to verse 25. And third, he was he he was also to be unable to speak, verse 26. Now, it wasn't made <clears throat> clear to Ezekiel why he was to do this or how long he was to do this or the extent of these restrictions. The only specific limitation was regarding his silence there in verse 27. He was to remain silent until the Lord enabled him to speak. Ezekiel's silence was a sign to the Jews that God's word is not to be taken for granted or treated lightly, like, it's, like it is a, a lot in everyday conversation. God speaks. When he speaks, we'd better listen and we'd better obey. Chapter 3, verse 27. Here it says, he who hears, let him hear. Now, we've heard this before. It's a familiar and important phrase in the Bible because it suggests that, <clears throat> that we have the responsibility to pay attention to God's word. We are to value what he says. We're to meditate upon it and we're to do it. At least five times in Deuteronomy, Moses said, hear, O Israel. Hear, O Israel, has repeated the law and he reminded the people of the great privilege Israel had to hear the actual voice of God at Mount Sinai. At least eight times in the Gospels, Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Or he said similar words to that. The binding of the prophet in verse 25 is probably a figurative statement because there's really no evidence that Ezekiel was literally tied with ropes and forced to stay in his house. In chapter 5, verse 2, and chapter 12, verse 3, we see that he did leave the house and nobody stopped him. The Jewish people tied up Ezekiel in the sense that their sins made it necessary for him to stay at home in silence until God gave him a message. The people's attitude, it wasn't aggressive. It wasn't an, an aggressive opposition to Ezekiel. It was rather a passive lack of interest. They just didn't care. So it was necessary for Ezekiel to use action sermons to get their attention. 59 times in the book of Ezekiel, the words, I am the Lord, is used because it was Ezekiel's job to remind the people who was in charge. The name of God, mostly used in the book of Ezekiel, is Jehovah Adonai, which means the sovereign Lord. A.W. Tozer wrote this, God being who and what he is, And we being who and what we are, the only thinkable relation between us is one of full lordship on his part and complete submission on ours. So in closing, we must ask ourselves, are we a rebellious people? Or are we like Ezekiel, obedient servants? Ezekiel's job is to say, thus says the Lord God. In other words, this is what God says. Back in chapter 2, verse 7, we read, And you shall speak my words to them. This man is to give God's word to these people, and that's the only time he's to speak to them. He says, You shall speak to them my words to them, nothing else. There's no room for him to give his own opinion, his own feelings. He's to speak God's words to the people, and that's the only time he's to speak. In verse 27, he says, when I speak with you, I will open your mouth. Ezekiel only had the word of God to give him. And you know what? That's what they need. They don't need our opinion. They don't need our experiences. What they need is God's word. God's word saves. It heals. It's truth. It's power. It's strength. It's hope. And the list goes on. We need God's word. Father, we thank you so much for this awesome chapter, Lord, and as they're all awesome, Lord, and I just Lord, I just find them so amazing, God, and so powerful, so clear, Lord. And Father, help us to to, to read the scriptures and read them for what they say, God. We don't need to twist the text to fit our feelings our ideas, our, our emotions, Lord. And Father, help us try to not make a different sense out of what it's saying, Lord. It might be to our advantage. You know, we might like it to say something else. But help us to understand what it is saying and what it means to us, Lord. Let us not believe and and... take into into our hearts a false security, a false sense of of we're okay. We must continue our relationship with you. It must be steadfast, like Paul said, and immovable. And if we continue, if we abide, then we're going to be okay. But help us to examine our hearts and to see, Lord, if we've turned away, if we've turned from your righteousness, God, and Lord, we're, we're, we have this sense of, of false security that I'm saved and, and nothing's going to change that. Well, again, if we endure to the end, we shall be saved. That means we need to finish the race well, abiding in Christ, anchored to Christ, so that we don't drift away. That we don't turn away, God. May our eyes be fixed on you and only you, Lord. And Father, may we finish the race, press towards the mark, the high calling of Jesus Christ. And it ain't over until we hit the grave. And we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.